Hello and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School from Los Angeles. This is your host, Michael Benner. Happy to be with you again this week. And I want to let you know that rather than skip a program because of a crunch of work and a trip out of town, we thought what we would do is podcast in this week's episode and also as the premium training, the extended complete program that follows share with you programs we rarely ever podcast, a Sunday seminar that I gave in Los Angeles at the Body and Soul Studio. And so the ambience is going to be a little bit different. It'll have a different tonal quality to it because we're using remote recording equipment. You may hear a little bit of traffic in the background. I don't think it'll disturb you or bother you. But uh, that's why it's going to sound a little different, and so I thought I'd give you a heads up here up front. Again, you can enroll for the full premium training, which runs about 90 minutes, a little more than that, actually, by going to our primary website, theagelesswisdom.com. The T-H-E is part of it. The W is dot theagelesswisdom.com. Click on Podcasts and Premium Training, then again on Premium Training, and with your bank card, your ATM card, credit or debit card, you can enroll in a matter of moments. Then watch your email, and a link to the extended program will come usually within 36 hours. So that's the deal on that. So with that, Let's go back in time a few days to Sunday, April 6th at the Body and Soul Spiritual Studio in Los Angeles, actually in La Crescenta in the San Fernando Valley, if you know the L.A. area, for our class on Radical Honesty. Our topic for the day today is Radical Honesty, and I think you're going to like this, and uh, Hopefully you can begin to practice it because it's really not simply a decision that we can make. It really requires a practice. And I think the word radical is probably more important than the word honesty when it comes to recognizing that this is more a practice than a decision that we make. Because radical honesty leads beyond simply, I need to be more direct and open and honest. Beyond even, wow, I'm really enjoying the intimacy that's coming into the relationship as we give each other permission to tell an ever higher quality of truth. To a complete shift, this is the radical part, a complete shift in the way that we view reality. Most of us are convinced, and unless you delve into esoteric philosophy or mysticism, Eastern philosophy, or the mysticism of uh, the Middle East or West, for that matter, most of us rarely have any reason to consider that we're inventing with our imaginations our sense of what we call real. I have an exercise that I do at the Sheriff's Academy where I teach emotional intelligence as a course we call fearless intelligence where I write on the board 
and then pull down a movie screen, and there's a point where after showing a video, I say, now I'm going to raise the screen, and I want you to read the sentence I've written on the board silently to yourself, silently, twice. And then I raise the screen, and they see revealed on the board, I can hear the voice in my head reading this sentence. I can hear, and then they do it again. I can hear probably three or four times. I can hear the voice in my head reading the sentence. I can hear, I can hear, I can hear the voice <laughs> in my head reading this sentence. And then I say, now, which are you, the voice in your head? or the part of you that's hearing the voice. And nine out of ten. In fact, I'm not sure I've ever had anybody answer correctly. They all say, the voice. I'm the voice in my head. And that, of course, is what we think, that we are our thoughts. Some people are more visual. They get pictures rather than voices. Most of us get a little combination of both. But we all understand that it's not merely a schizophrenic or psychotic person that hears voices. We all have a little narrative going on in our heads. But the truth is, that's not us. And to think that most people grow old and die, and that never even occurs to them. That billions of people have lived on this earth, and that the chances of people understanding that in ancient times were actually greater than in modern times. Because our science and our technology is very glamorous. We have movies and TV that draw us out into the world. We've got iPhones and iTablets and computers and there's so much going on that is fantastic. Whatever is your concept of beauty, it draws us out into the world such that we identify with sense and sensation to such a degree that we fail to recognize that there is such a thing as personal reality. And I suspect, it's my belief, that if I had not experimented in the 60s with LSD, I would never consider the idea of personal reality. That would never occur to me. And yet, we're getting empirical scientific evidence now in actually the last 50 or 60 years from the quantum scientists, those women and men who concern themselves with the tiniest uh, subatomic particle, the ultimate grittiness of the universe, where physics is thrown into a cocked hat and the impact of the observer cannot be separated from the observed, even at a distance some field of consciousness that we have yet to be able to explain, where our perception and, yes, our expectations actually have an impact on what happens. Well, then you go to express yourself to somebody else, and, of course, they think you're out of your mind because your personal version of reality, the one you've invented in your head, is different from theirs. And of course, they know they're right. And if yours is different, well, then obviously you're wrong. And I've done classes and lectures and workshops and seminars and 
gone on and on and on. Some of you that have listened to me on the radio way, way back in the day remember my frustration at dealing with binary thinking and dualism and this either-or, everything-or-nothing mentality that just comes out of the appearance of dualism in the world. This is a very dualistic world. We have gender, right? That's where it begins. We have men and women. But then there's the appearance of right and wrong, and the one right answer means that if it's not the one right answer, then everything else is wrong. And we divide the world into good people and bad people. Even though it doesn't work, we persist <laughs> in our efforts to decide, well, is this person to be trusted or not, right? Without ever considering that everybody has both light and shadow within them. You know, like the Animal House movie, an angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other, and we're all tempted, and, and uh, as a religious person would say, we're all sinners, but it's not the devil or some external personification of evil that is tempting us, it's ourselves, it's our own egoic nature, it's the part of us that feels separate but separate in a unified, objective reality that we ought to all agree on. And again, I know I'm right, so if you disagree, you must be wrong. So radical honesty really really requires you at some point to consider to what extent each of us are actively inventing our perception, assembling in our head, a personal version of what's going on in the world. And then we would be mistaken to insist that another person should see things exactly as we do. To dig in our heels and to defend the self is to, I would say, fail to recognize the true nature of the self. Because the true self does not need defending. Consider that the truth of who you are never needs to be defended. So if you get defensive, when we find ourselves becoming defensive, perhaps the part of us we're defending is not real. That that is made up as well. And if we knew the truth, or as we, this is why I call this a practice, as we come to know the truth, because I'm not sure there's a there there, I've never met a Christ or a Buddha. I've met people who thought they were, but that was always a case of their ego acting like... (laughs) The ego will dress up like the soul, right? Have you ever met these super pious, sanctimonious, holy people that have this whole act about having arrived and being so damned enlightened? And then they turn and yell at somebody and... Or, you know, start collecting Rolls Royces like Rajneesh, you know. And and both things are true. I mean, Rajneesh as an example, or Elizabeth Clare Prophet, really are quasi-enlightened, semi-enlightened beings. They, they have a lot to teach. I've learned a lot from those two. And yet they both ended up stockpiling machine guns. What's with that? You know, can you imagine Jesus or Buddha having a stockpile of weapons, right? Much less Gandhi or Martin Luther King. 
and uh, aspiring to Rolls Royces, Rajneesh ended up with 26 or 29 Rolls Royces. Like, you'd think one would be enough. <laughs> and who needs a Rolls Royce? Wow. When, you know, Christ and Buddha are barefoot and went out of their way not even to ride a horse. So, There's a principle in Buddhism where you're not even supposed to sleep in a high bed. Isn't that odd? Never sleep in a high bed. It's like a rule for priests in Buddhism because it gives you a sense that you're like superior or ought to be living a life of luxury because it draws you out into the the temptations of the material world to identify with the material world. So radical honesty is radical. It's honesty in relationships that then become more intimate, more rewarding and rich. But it's also radical in your relationship with yourself. To accept that you're making it up, your own particular reality, that you're inventing it, you're participating in it, and that you don't need to do that. Or, better said, perhaps, perhaps better said, we can learn to watch ourselves making it up and then do it less and not be quite so foolish. The central premise in radical honesty and it was uh, coined, the term was actually coined by a psychotherapist named uh, Brad Blanton it's one of the reasons I made notes because I'm familiar with the concept but I wanted to give attribution to this fellow he's gathered together a lot of principles that are often discussed in psychotherapy, but he gets credit for coining the phrase radical honesty and wrote a book by the same name and then a second book working with or practicing radical honesty and then a third book and a fourth book and so on. He does these eight-day workshops with groups of 16. Can you imagine eight days in a group of 16 practicing honesty? And the central premise is that lying is stressful. That we live in a prison in our mind made up of the lies we tell ourselves and then repeat to other people. You get that? Because that's it right there. If I said, good afternoon, thanks for being here, (laughs) so long, have a nice day, that would be what you need to know that radical honesty is an attempt to provide us with the keys we need to unlock those prison gates and get out of the self-imposed prison or jail and the torment and the torture imagine all the work in creating a false appearance and the stress now I have wondered aloud for years, going back even to my radio days in the 80s, about the implications of a lie detector. The fact that a lie detector works carries with it some remarkable implications, mainly that telling a lie is stressful. 
telling a lie raises the frequency of brain waves toward high stress, panic, as if frightening some deep core self. When you lie, you scare the bejesus out of your soul or your higher That's why self. I don't do it. <laughs> There's other reasons, too. Mark Twain said, the reason I don't lie has nothing to do with morality or ethics. I just don't want to do all the work. You know, it's just... It's exactly I don't like having to remember and keep all the data straight, so I just tell it straight out. If you don't like it, you can learn to forgive me. Uh, and we'll, we'll get to some of that. But consider the lie detector. What does it say about a human being, about the innate intelligence or the essence of a human being that telling a lie registers in the body as a fear response as muscular tension that not only raises the frequency of brain waves but generates this whole series of symptoms known collectively as the fight or flight response galvanic skin response for example you, you perspire most of us do have a conscience. But part of our consciousness is our conscience. If we say uh, that person is conscientious, that word is from they're consciously aware of their conscience and they want to do the right thing. They want to do the best that they can do. They want to be of service to other people. At the very least, they're aware of a distinction some sort of line between right and wrong. So if we're lying to other people because we lie to ourselves, then we're creating most of the stress in our lives. And the keys to that prison would be to learn to tell the truth, to tell the highest quality of truth. And are there limits? Yeah, we'll talk this afternoon about where to draw the line and and uh, what are the limits? We'll talk a little about the difference between a white lie, uh, gray lies, and black lies. And um, the worst lie of all, to bear false witness. 